Welcome to Cartronomics with Arjun. The show aims to unravel the layers of the fintech sector and the rapidly evolving tech startup ecosystem across the MENA region and beyond. I am your host Arjun, and I will be inviting founders, executives, investors, regulators, and other influential stakeholders to discuss and dissect the highs and lows of their own ventures and how they foresee the wider ecosystem evolve. Join us as we celebrate success and the spirit of risk-taking, the candid discussion that goes past a timid question and cautious answers. This show is produced in collaboration with Adyan, a reliable end-to-end payment solution that enables businesses to turn payments into a strategic growth driver. We're also brought to you by Lulu Financial Group, a global financial services provider headquartered in Abu Dhabi, and operating in 11 countries. Finally, Cartronomics with Arjun Singh is brought to you by M2P Fintech, Asia's leading payment infrastructure company that enables businesses of any scale to embed financial products. Welcome to this episode of Cartronomics with Arjun. I'm your host Arjun, and I'm actually joined by a CEO of a fintech founder. I'm joined by Ramana Kumar, who is CEO of Magneti. a subsidiary of the first Abu Dhabi bank. Ramana, welcome. Thanks Arjun, great Love to have you, you there. Love great to have to you here. Great to And be I here. hope the couch is comfortable. We've known each other for uh, I think 6 7 years and I'm actually personally very proud of what you guys have achieved. Thank you. I always feel that I'm a small part of that journey. I'd like you to are. put myself insert myself in there. But you know talk to us uh, about you know the last couple of years in terms of the conception of magneti as a fintech the fact that you spun it off from the bank obviously your recent raise with brookfield which gave you a valuation of somewhere around 1.2 billion I'm sorry if i don't know the exact number and then i'd like to hear from you in terms of what's next but i don't want a 10 year view i actually want to hear about in a marketplace where actually competition is actually very interesting you have you know international players walking in you have domestic players who are revitalizing themselves you know what's going to make magneti different what's going to yeah. make you succeed so why don't we start there yeah first of all thanks for having me here uh, it's really nice to be part of this show which you're doing it and you and I go long back so i wouldn't mind sitting here and having that it's really proud to be honest uh, you had a lot of say in what we have done so far and wh- where we have conceptualized this idea and and took it to the point of creating a unicorn like you said the last two year journey was fantastic so this was an idea brandchild supported which was raised within the personal banking group of first abu dhabi bank had an amazing stakeholder in hana rustamani and this idea hana propelled the idea and gave it wings and it went to the board and actually been supported across because it stands on four key fundamentals mm-hmm. the first fundamental pillar is payments as a business is no longer a banking business it's become a technology business if you want to be in this business you better be up there in terms of technology because this business is no longer going to be like okay i won't do anything status quo remains it's not going to happen status quo is getting disrupted every second and in this disruption fab post merger of nbad and, and fgb decided that they want to be on the forefront of this innovation and tech because this is where you get mind share of of your clients of corporates of fsmes uh, and the consumers mm-hmm. the idea was very clearly taken by the senior management and the board of of fab they agreed to our vision and where we want to take it 
and then we discussed the point of bringing in a strategic partner who would take us to the next level. And that's a story uh, fundamentally in terms of what we wanted to create and where we are today. Mm -hmm. Having said that, there are a few factors which are very important for all of us when we went back to the drawing board and asked ourselves because there were pre precedents set, there were people who created carved out businesses from a bank in this region almost 10 years ago and you were part of that. Well, I actually story. came to this region because <laughs> of that, because of that, that. company. Yeah. Uh, and the question was, are you going to create one more of it? Yeah. And we said, no, the idea is not that at all. And to be honest, it's not at all creating one more of it because we wanted to differentiate compared to other processes. So that's why many people ask us, are you a processor? And we tell them, no, we are a platform. Right from our name, right from the way we, we have created our vision, we have created a story, we have created our strategy, we have created our business plan. It's all about our platform and where we want to be different. Processing is just one part of the story. And in current world, there are so many processes it's you can rely on. It's commoditizing. And yeah. it's a commoditizing. You can rely on so many processes. And that also comes from the fact that the other pillar we talked about is value. So this business has so much of structural value built in because you are structurally important to the economy. The way you're, you're managing the payments of corporates, government, SMEs and everyone, you are so structurally important to the economy. So there is an inherent value in this business and in this model. And we wanted to get that value out for our shareholders and for all the relevant business stakeholders, saying there is much more in this business than just being part of the banking business. Three, we wanted to move away from a single country, single client sort of a model where FAB and FAB's customers were amazing. These are our strong core customers. But the growth story in payments is all about scale. And if you are scalable, you're big. If you're not scalable, you're going to completely vanish. Mm -hmm. So in this scale journey, we presented to the stakeholders and they all agreed that we, we want to move away from a single country, single client focused businesses to multi-country. That's where MENA as a strategy came in and multi-client, which means we want to go to third party banks and showcase what we can do at the middle layer, which I call the API layer and a platform, than processing. Our value comes in the middle layer. The fourth one, which is the most important part of the pillar, is the agility. So right from carving out a name of Magnati to building the, the philosophy around agility, working with the right partners. We are living in a world where you cannot do everything. Mm -hmm. You have to partner. You have to cooperate. And that is where our model of agility and building in a platform, which we open up for anyone to come and connect, and then subsequently build solutions that we can take into our merchant ecosystem and provide them all solutions as one single integrated platform through a single API integration. Mm -hmm. That is the key for us. If I have to pictorially represent what it means is this is like the app store or a play store of payments. So what do you do when you go to app store? You want to you know, find an app. You will find Apple's app and you'll find competing apps, sure. but there is only one platform and that platform is owned by Apple, which is App Store. There is no way you can go. That platform is where the inherent value is. Mm -hmm. We want to become an App Store or Play Store of payments. I think that's where you're right. 10 years is a pretty long story. You don't know. I don't know where 10 years where we will be. But what is important is you put the platform ready for a multi-dimensional growth and and whether it's one year whether it's two years whether it's five years we will see
Okay, so question for you. Are your customers willing to pay for it? Again, pay is a value that comes out of it, right? right. So I think you have been my customer before, you have been our customer before, and our, our approach was very clear. If you want to talk about few basis points, we are, the, we are a wrong partner for you. If it is all about few basis point cost difference and you don't see a difference between Magnati and NX, then there is something wrong we have done, not you. We have done because we haven't given that perception that we are different. So we tell our clients, if you're looking at cost, we are a wrong partner. If you're looking at cost to income, we are the right partner. So what do we do is we focus on the denominator. So through the payment as a platform and the layers around it, now I'll talk about each of these layers, the layer of data monetization. Even before people talked about data in this market, you've been one of our first you know, POCs or proof of concepts is, we started building our uh, AI layers and machine learning layers where every in unique card that touches our payment ecosystem, we are acquirers. We don't know whether Arjun owns this card or uh, Arjun's mobile number or Arjun's email ID or anything else. Issuers know that. But everyone tried to mine the data from an issuer perspective. We are the only ones who started mining that data from a merchant perspective. Then we built a proprietary model called brand affinity. So people have this concept that if you are a supermarket, you need to forcefully drive people going to other supermarkets into you as a footfall. It doesn't work. That's a negative affinity. Right? People who go, to, who go to Lulu would not go to Carrefour and who go to Carrefour would not go to Lulu and vice versa because the brand affinity is slightly different and the same applies for any brand you take. But what is important is people who go to brand A also go to brand B in a different segment, mm -hmm. go to brand C in another segment. Mm -hmm. And what we have identified from this data analytics is there is a six brand affinity. These are six brands you continuously recur or repeat as part of your purchase patterns. Okay. Now, statistically, seventh brand and eighth brand loses significance. Okay. Now, within these six brands, now you build so much of affinity that the brands have used all the modes of maximizing money from you. So if you are a Starbucks or Costa or whatever brands, you have now become so used to Starbucks is part of your life or Costa is top part of your life that the brands have maximized the financial benefit from you. Now the brands have an opportunity through our model to use their brand estate to start delivering new revenue opportunities. Mm -hmm. So how does that happen? So I am a Starbucks brand ambassador or a Costa brand ambassador. I believe in Costa or Starbucks as a brand of my life where I have strong brand affinity. So when we go to these models and when we look at this brand affinity, we are telling Starbucks to use their brand estate to cross-sell other non-competing products, non-competing brands and earn new line of revenue called referral income. Now, what does that mean to Starbucks? It's not the referral income is not significant, but your customers who are your brand ambassadors are becoming more and more core to you because they're relying on you to refer them new lifestyle products. Mm -hmm. Similarly, you are a brand sitting at brand 20 or brand 30 in brand affinity. You now have an opportunity to work with us and start driving new footfalls. So wherever you stand in this brand affinity pyramid, we have a model for you to generate new line of income mm -hmm. using data uh, monetization models. Okay. This is the next level of tech. 
It is. No, it is. Would so, payment processors do it? No. no. This is where we add value as part of our platform. So let me say, so I'm, I'm taking, uh, there's several takeaways, but I'll take two takeaways from it. So what you're suggesting is that personas typically can be built around six brands. So six characteristics help you define a persona. And, and again, I'm nobody to challenge it, but I, I think it kind of makes sense. The second bit is all of this is underpinned by the word data. Okay. And so I'm going to pivot slightly and I'm going to start talking about what I also think is critical for the progression of this entire financial services sector in this part of the world, which is all the rhetoric that we hear around open banking, banking as a service, embedded finance. Now, all of these can operate in a delineated manner, right? And they are, let's be honest. But if open banking really happens, it supercharges new operating models. Banking as a service is one of many. And if you really get banking as a service going, it really drives embedded finance. So in effect, it catalyzes the whole thing. So Honest opinion, you know, I have, when I've been on the other side of the, I guess, the couch, right, I I call myself a hopeless romantic because I do believe in the sort of benefits of open banking. But at the same time, I'm cautiously optimistic. What's your take as a banker? And and, and you don't have to answer this question as an FAB or a Magneti individual. Is open banking, open finance really going to happen in this part of the world? Are the banks, and especially the big ones, really going to embrace it? Or is it going to be a, a sort of relatively slow burn, right? right? What's your view on it? See, oh, I, I'll slowly, I'll slightly take this into a different mode and start explaining what's happening with the consumer behavior. Based on the same elements of data we talked about, right? Now, we have consumers who have very strong brand affinities. Mm-hmm. Now, that brand affinity is larger than some of the banks. Now, if you take Starbucks as an example, the the number of Starbucks brand ambassadors are much larger than any bank in in the world. The same applies for, let's say, any brand A, B, C, or D. They're different segments. Now, if you look at that and start looking at the same question many people are asking, why can't the same banking services, now we have defined it as banking services, the financial related services be offered by the brand I trust. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, if it's FAB, it's FAB. If it's a, a bank B, if it's bank C, it's bank C. And the same way we're looking at banking service, tomorrow it can be anything. So the normal banks today can tomorrow become a marketplaces like Amazon. Everything is possible in the new data I world. Do think, I do think, but let me just stop you. Do you think it's easier for banks to go into beyond banking services? Or is it easier for, and Starbucks is not the best example because they're actually a fintech in, yeah, in a are, lot of intensive yeah. purposes. But, but let's not put a brand there. Let's take a non-financial services brand starts offering you core banking and financial services capability. Because let's be honest, a, a cup of coffee and your life savings, you know, you can't, you don't. But, but again, this is not about cup of coffee or life savings. It's about what do I trust and what I don't, right? Now, or what do I trust better than somebody else? Now, the second part of the story, which is again based on the brand, is the trust factor still works for banks. Banks are trusted, banks are very important. But the tech factor comes more on this. So people are going to draw a line between convenience and trust. And where does that line stop? Where does that line start? Is something for all of us to see. And that's why people are evaluating those opportunities. What is also uh, very interesting while it is evolving is, why can't I do it when I want to do it, how I want to do it, whichever way I want to do it. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. right? Now, whoever has that flexibility, people are going to use them because the, the new generations are coming. And when the new generations come in, they look for flexibility, they look for adaptability, and they look for their patience levels are very less. And when their patience levels are so less, they want it to happen now. And whoever has the ability to make it happen now are going to win the pie. And that's why more than open banking and, uh, and op open finance, I call democratization of finance a much larger phenomena that is going to happen. And that will happen. Not just finance, yeah. democratization of retailing, democratization of trade uh, in the sense, any commerce in general and calling it democratization of commerce is something that is going to happen and we're all going to witness it much faster with the evolving tech. So the lines are going to get morphed. Absolutely. Interesting. Absolutely. But then again, this is where the, the role of regulation, regulators come in. And to be honest, we should not discuss this here. This is something where people are now thinking, why are some not regulated, why some are regulated? And why are the grounds different? Yeah, and I think you're right. I think the regulator might actually have the final say. There was this very interesting piece of paper I'd once read, and maybe I'm misquoting it, but it, it said something like that. People want banking, don't need banks. I think that was Steve Jobs back in 1984. But there was also a very interesting thing that banks was a creation of regulators. It was not a creation of society and, and people. You talked about the young generation, right? So let's talk about the young generation. I've got two young kids too. There is just so much conversation regarding the topic of metaverse, right? And, and whether it is leaning coming from the whole crypto angle, whether it is the in, in, in Q4 of last year in terms of NFT, which I think has had a, a bit of a correction. Banks are responding cautiously, and I think that is, to, in, an, in a lot of ways, uh, uh, very correct. Yes, there are some examples in, in South Korea where I think the vast majority of the banks have now some form of metaverse strategy. Uh, obviously, a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month back, JP Morgan made quite a lot of splash by saying that they've created a destination in, in, in the metaverse, that they published a paper. So where do you see the metaverse and the banking sector or the wider financial services sector? And I'm not talking crypto and DeFi. I'm talking more traditional financial services, if I may use that word. I'm not fond of the word traditional, but I think you get my gist. And specifically, are you guys thinking about something in that area? Absolutely. Right. You are. Right. We, we are thinking about okay, so it. Tell me about no, it. It's not just thinking. Uh, something's cooking, and hopefully okay. very soon we can come and Can you and divulge? Talk about it. Absolutely. I can divulge to whatever extent I can. Many people think, and this is exactly the concept of blockchain. Many people thought blockchain is crypto. Crypto is blockchain. Blockchain is a tech. Blockchain is an enabler. Blockchain is a technology. The crypto is an underlying tool that makes it happen. Yep. But there are many use cases of blockchain without the use of an underlying crypto, right? Now, let's not go to the blockchain, but let's go back to the metaverse. I always give this example of how metaverse is going to change commerce. Mm -hmm. And that is where we are working on. So many people work on metaverse in different ways. You know, all the new geeks think it's all about NFTs. It's all about that. But we look at it in a slightly different way. We look at it as enablers of commerce. Mm -hmm. Now, when I talk about enablers of commerce, I'll talk about a few things. It's moving away. We are living in a world of two-dimensional commerce. So when you go to marketplaces online, when you want to buy something, you look at the photos, right? If you want to buy something from Amazon or any other marketplace, what do you do? You go in and ask for the product, look for the product, and you look at the two-dimensional pictures. And you order the product. 
but there is considerable amount of refunds or uh, returns that happen because I don't like the size, this is not what I've ordered for, enter multidimensional commerce. Now, our kids, many of the new generation, have already taught us the Minecrafts and roadblocks. What they're doing is they're doing projects on multidimensional projects, which we used to do on paper, so in two dimension, right? Now imagine I want to buy a product. This is, great. this is one example I keep quoting to many people and I do that. You want to buy a tent, <laughs> right? And when you buy a tent, you buy a tent looking at two-dimensional pictures. But now imagine you go to a metaverse, visualize how long the tent is, how tall the tent is, or how wide the tent is, how many people it can sit, it can sleep. I think you've solved a, a, a huge experiential problem, Okay. right? Now, that is where the commerce of the, or the metaverse is going to drive us to the new generation of commerce, right? Now, that's just the start. Yeah, because that's artificial reality, virtual reality. Right. Now, that's that. just a start. Right. Now, what happens is before pe people are today living in, let's say, 2.0. And now they talk about 3.0 and they talk about NFTs, they talk about so-and-so. Where is the bridge between 2.0 to 3.0? What we are working on is first of its kind, where we are opening up metaverse integrated to traditional payment rails or payment gateway. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you still go visualize the product, visualize the experience multidimensionally and can actually make a payment using your card. No crypto, no uh, NFTs, no drama. It's clearly pure play con experiential commerce. Now imagine as part of our idea, we are looking at it as multi-industrial or multi-segmental. So one of the segments, let's say, and this is something which excites me a lot more, is, you know, I'm a football fan, I'm a Liverpool fan, and I always want to go and watch a game at Anfield, sitting in the cop. I live in the Abu Dhabi or Dubai, and I can't go for every weekend game. So there are two ways you can watch a game. Either you're sitting at Anfield or you're w watching the TV. Now, enter what I talked about, 2.5 or 3.0, the experiential commerce, where I put my headgear on and my the headphones on, and now I, I am given an opportunity by the production houses to enable the content on our metaverse where I start watching as if I'm sitting in Anfield in the cop and singing You'll Never Walk Alone, right? The whole feel of it. Now for that, will I not pay? Of course I'll pay. This is the experiential commerce, right? Now this is the idea we are evolving into. Now, one of the idea may be a supermarket where suddenly now we can go in and look at a product and through blockchain understand the origination of the product, how many ship, how many you know ports it crossed, and so on and so forth. Two, we are looking at content or the, the production houses. Three, we are looking at the, the model of education. Now, why do you need multiple universities? Why are there Harvard, Stanford, etc. etc.? Why can't the world live on one university? I go in, I like the professor I want to listen to, put my headgear on, and I listen to him or her. Right? Now imagine what sort of new worlds it's going to create. And this is where we say, this is where Metaverse is going to drive commerce. 
everything else are icing on the cake, right? The so is Magneti going to create a metaverse proposition? Yes, we have aspirations and we, we have plans and we're working on it. We're going to create what we call the Magneti Meta V, which will host all of these industries I, I talked about. I should say that this is where you've heard it first. Yeah, this is where you heard it first. And as part of this, we, we are going to back to the platform. We want to be the platform. Remember the App Store of Payments? We want to be the platform where we have amazing merchants we want them to come in and we will do the heavy lifting. So They'll come in and become the nodes on our blockchain. And because they become nodes on our blockchain, all the footfalls coming into our metaverse can actually go in and experience the products of each of our merchant or whoever wants to be part of our metaverse and can actually start doing the commerce. A lot of metaverse are ideas. We want to initiate commerce. We want to initiate transactions. We want to initiate the journeys. And then we'll see where it goes into, where it evolves into. So before we end it, I think our part two of this discussion should be on one of your floors, right? Absolutely. So the events you. meta V, yeah. please join as an avatar and I'll yeah. join as an I, avatar. I'll have to come up with an avatar which looks better than my true self. But well, that's Ram too difficult. Right? Ramana, thanks a lot as Thank always, you, right? We, we don't it. meet that often. But we still continue to talk as Absolutely. often, so that's always good. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming across. It's an thank entire you. pleasure. My pleasure. With that, we, we end this episode. I'd like to thank Ramana Kumar, who is the CEO of Magneti, which has recently become a unicorn, a fintech unicorn, as I must say. Uh, ambitious plans. I've known Ramana for a long time. I'm, I'm fairly confident he will deliver against thank them. You. So with that, goodbye and until uh, the next episode. Bye-bye.